Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's guest is Will Brinson. Will, delightful colleague at CBS Sports, covers the NFL for CBS, and also a member of the League of Leagues, the insane baseball, basketball, football fantasy league that I'm in with a bunch of industry folks, including Will. And uh, I love the fact that The Miz is in this league. As in the wrestler, the Miz. That's too good. There, there's stories behind that. But anyway, uh, and it's going, it's a lot of fun. It's a neck and neck battle actually for first overall. We start with baseball. We go, uh, football then and we go basketball. And, uh, right now I am barely microscopically ahead in first, followed closely by uh, the team of Chris Meany as well as Pat Mayo, uh, who's a great fantasy guy. Uh, and, uh, keep you posted on how that goes. Anyway, so Will's in that. And Will writes for CBS, and Will's great. You can follow Will on Twitter, at Will Brinson, and you should also uh, subscribe to his podcast, which is the Pick 6 podcast. If you're into football, guess what? The Super Bowl is this weekend. I don't know if you know that. It's a bowl. It's really super. CBS is covering it. I'm a company man, so you should definitely watch the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know how CBS can derive more revenue. I don't know. Maybe buy the beer that's presented to you in the commercials i guess whatever works best for everybody involved uh will be good anyway will and i had a lovely chat he's in atlanta on radio row all week long and we talked about the rams and the patriots and all kinds of football stuff and and we cross over too he's a renaissance man will so easily conversant in baseball uh, we sprinkled in a little bit of basketball it's good it's a good wide-ranging freewheeling conversation and that, that's the kind that i like i always like it when the guest Starts talking and then ends up answering the question that I was about to ask. Then you know they're on the same wavelength. And Will did that at least twice, maybe more. So uh, do check out this uh, edition of the John Carey Podcast with Will Brinson. Quick programming notes, CBS Sports. You will find lots and lots and lots and lots of writing. Uh, I am recording this on a Tuesday. There is an article about how we have literally twice as many players playing multiple positions uh, as we did 25, 30 years ago. Uh, shout out John Fisher who works for CBS Sports as well, who used to work with at ESPN, actually. And what we found, what John found, was that if you look at uh, players who've played three positions or more, at least 100 innings or more of the course of a season, it was uh, it's twice as many as we saw in the late 80s and early 90s. Pretty interesting, that kind of trend. So do check that out. There will also be another piece coming out on the greatest players to ever wear every number in Major League history from 0 through 99 I got the inspiration for that because Adam Ottavino signed with the Yankees and he's the first Yankee to wear number zero and every other double, and every other single digit has been retired. So I guess if Ottavino pitches, I don't know, 20 years, he's in his thirties, that'd be tough. But, uh, maybe he'll get his number retired too, along with, uh, Jeter and Mantle and DiMaggio and Ruth and Gehrig and everybody else. That'd be cool. So, uh, check out that piece, uh, that, uh, greatest numbers piece will be later this week. We got the Zobristification of baseball. Uh, already out and uh, lots of other good stuff. Also, when uh, Anthony Davis announced that he wanted to trade uh, from the Pelicans or his agent did, I wrote a piece about that and tying it into baseball and all that. Uh, it's the offseason. <laughs> There's not as many games to scrutinize, which is to say zero. So sometimes you got to cross sport and look at big picture stuff, which is some of my favorite writing to do. And I hope it's some of your favorite reading to do. Check all of that good stuff out and check out this edition of the Joe Carey podcast. It is with Will Brinson. Enjoy. Jonah Carey is on the 
Will Brinson, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Mr. Carey. Thank you for having me on as always. It is, uh, it is always a pleasure to have uh, the Jonah Carey theme song stuck in my head for 48 hours <laughs> recording a podcast uh, with you. But hey, you know what? I, there's no better way to spend uh, seven days away from my family than, than recording multiple <laughs> podcasts. Well, before we get into it, I mean, I, I have a newborn. It is wonderful. Um, but, you know, I you are landbound. You're absolutely, you, you yeah. do the things you need to do. You feed the baby, you work, you sleep. That's, that's <laughs> blink, pretty much it. Twice have you been kidding <laughs> No, no, I, I like it. <laughs> what I'm asking you is what does one do? Because I, I mean, I feel like I know you a little bit and like, on the one hand, I could be like seven days away from the family. We're going to Buckhead. We're going to get buck wild. On the other hand, it's like, you're going to bed at nine 30, aren't you? You're just like getting sleep and then working. And that's pretty, you're clean shaven. I see you. We're doing this in video. I have a feeling it's not as wild as one might think. It is. It is incredibly less wild than you would think. And I mean, I think that right, one, that's a byproduct of um, sort of being in, you know, my late thirties. Although yes. I mean, I'm not afraid to throw down with the, with the best of them as, as need be. Uh, two, I would say it's a byproduct of, you know, we have CBS Sports HQ, which you're yes. on all the time. Yes. Um, we're doing, I'm doing a live show, the Pick Six podcast live show from Radio Road, Monday through Friday, noon to one Eastern. Fun. And then we have to record another audio podcast that comes out daily at some point in the afternoon. <laughs> because of opening night, we recorded it at midnight. I was drinking like my second beer of the day at midnight. Wow. Um, and then there's this other factor, like, so the hotel we're all staying in, it's a big CBS compound here at the Super Bowl. Cool. And it's this, it's this hotel that is literally, 10 days old, which is, I think, the newest hotel I've ever stayed in. It has all, like, the, you know, the, the, the accoutrement are all brand new, including a TV that I can sign into with Netflix. So I can, like, come back <laughs> here, slip on a beer and, and, like, jam out to Netflix instead of just running around and watching, like, Migos at some Super Bowl party, which would be fun, but, you know, outside of my age range. I am fully with you. I did go to a Super Bowl party one year in San Francisco and the Chili Peppers were playing. And yeah, they're like, I like them well enough, but I think, I feel like any act where there are 600 people in the venue and it's a band that plays God knows. The other one was, um, it was them and, um, uh, Iggy Azalea. It was yeah. when Iggy Azalea was a big thing. And, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was, uh, Tony Khan was the one who was taking me around just because he's my oh, only, Tony. like, yeah, Tony's great and he's like, I don't have that many friends in football, or whatever. And it was a weird experience. And then like, you meet, I, I, I guess I'm name dropping, but I'm just doing it for the, the weirdness of it. Tony, of course, has access because he's Tony. And we go up to the top, <laughs> we go up to the top floor of this big warehouse thing. This was the second night party. I think the first night was the Chili Peppers and no, first night was Iggy Zaylee, then it was the Chili Peppers. And we go up and it's only like, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Vince Vaughn. It's like, it's like these people. I'm like, hi, I'm Jonah. Who are you? Not anybody. This is Tony. Oh, Tony. Da, da, da. And I just like, I sit back. Snoop Dogg was DJing and walked over. I'm like, okay. I am so okay. completely out of place. So Never been more do? out of place. What do you do? Uh, I read about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. I will say uh, the but, food but, but, was my, magnificent. Food was my great. favorite, my favorite Super Bowl party story. Yeah. And the best Super Bowl party I've ever been to, or the most enjoyable one was, um, 
when Justin Timberlake was playing the direct TV party in New Orleans, yeah, I couldn't, I didn't get in, I didn't get a ticket or whatever, but I did get a ticket to Stevie Wonder at the Bud Light Hotel. Ooh, that's good. Even, like, I would rather go see Stevie Wonder than Justin Timberlake, well, probably nine times out of ten. Yes. I've seen him. Um, so that was, that was exciting. But the, the best, my favorite one is in New York, we went to the Madden Bowl. Oh. We get there and they're, uh, I think, um, Trying to think, it was like a, a bunch of old school '90s hip hop bands were playing. Mm-hmm. Buster Rhymes was one of them. Oh bands. damn! And damn! Buster, I'm in Buster, for that. A very, a very thick burger Busta is up on the stage. He's rapping. So songs. good. And he gets, he gets done with the show, and this guy comes up and grabs a mic. He's like, uh, "Yeah, the uh, Buster. Uh, if anyone looks down and there's a, a ring on the floor, Buster <gasps> lost his ring. Oh. <laughs> he lost a ten thousand dollar ring, flailing his arms. It flew off his hand." <laughs> Flew into the crowd. Nobody knows if he ever got it back. And I think it's a good moral quandary. If you found Buster Rhymes' $10,000 ring on the floor of the Madden Bowl, do you stuff it in your pocket and leave? Do you return it to Buster Rhymes? What do you, like, what do you do? It says a lot about you as a person. I probably would have taken it. The left. correct answer is you get the ring, you go into Mordor, and you try to get to the top of Mount Doom so you could drop it in, and then everything is okay. Uh, oh, my God. That's amazing. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Listen, it's been talked about a lot. In, in media circles, but I want to get into it just because I come at it from an outsider. You know, I watch these games. great games. The championship games were amazing. Yeah, maybe the best, probably the best set of championship games we've ever had, but marred by that call. And, you know, the NBA had all kinds of scandals, Tim Donnie, all that stuff. Baseball, the era Greg Levon Hernandez game may live forever. I believe you're a Braves fan, right? I am. I am. Yeah, so you remember that game in 97. Lots of yeah. weird stuff has happened, but the guy trucked the guy on a pass attempt not far from the goal line with the season and a birth of the Super Bowl on the line. And now afterwards we hear, well, four of the officials were from Southern California. First of all, a lot of people are from Southern California. I don't know that it says anything. But it, it just – how do we get to this point? Because it, it's just, there's so much good stuff happening in the NFL from an on-field performance uh, – on-field perspective. Why are we dealing with this? What, what happened that would have allowed that kind of call to be missed? Well, I think that it there. Uh, I mean, there's a couple problems. One is a general problem. The NFL is typically reactive instead of proactive. Yep. And it's like, all right, let's uh, let's just assume that this stuff isn't going to happen, and we won't worry about it until it does happen. Then what happens? They're like, oh, like oh, this. I mean, like, not to equate you know a pass interference call with like a domestic violence incident, but you see this anytime they deal with yeah. any sort of PR situation. Like somebody gets arrested for punching somebody, and they're like. Oh, like, oh, like, you know, panic mode and, and they could take so many steps to alleviate this. I always look at the NHL and how they implemented centralized replay and they said, look, we're going to have the dude, the Wizard of Oz guy from, you know, behind the curtain mm-hmm. step in and say, hold on a second. This was a mistake. Let's fix it because it's altering the course of the game. Now in football, there are so many subjective calls, whether it's passion interference yeah. or holding or something like that. But I think there needs to be a threshold journal where it's like, okay, listen, this was egregious. And I, I don't think these referees from Southern Cal, like, I look at it like this. Like, what if you flipped it though? What if the Saints had gone to Los Angeles and they beat the Rams on a shady pass interference call and the four refs were from Baton Rouge? Right. People would be like, this is, a, this is a flat out, like, like low country conspiracy. <laughs> but like, but like now everybody's like, please, like, like four dudes who live in Southern California, like, care about the Rams? Like, what if they were? They're going to be belted with avocados when they go to like, <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're like, they're Mart. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's like nobody likes the Rams. They're four Rams fans. I, so I, I think that the Rams thing is kind of obscuring it a little bit that, 
the bigger problem is that the NFL is going to run into, in my opinion, yeah. is that when it embraces, and it's it's currently setting to do this, when it embraces sports gambling yeah. and it wraps its arms around it, it's going to have to be proactive rather than reactive because that's how you end up with a Tim Donaghy type of scandal. I mean, of course, this isn't a real thing, but the optics are bad to yes. the general fan. And when you start allowing, like literally millions of dollars were swung on that call because the Saints would have won. They would have at least pushed, maybe covered in some spots, would have won the money line. Um, and anybody who bet on the Rams won. You know, it's a, that to me is the problem that the NFL needs to address this offseason to say, okay, look, if we're going to embrace sports gambling, and if we want to be fair and just, and I mean, look, it's sports. Not everything is going to work out great for everybody. But if you want to eliminate the egregious calls, I think they need to have some form of centralized replay. But there's a lot of pushback against it, so who knows? So many things. First of all, the four low country referees. That is absolutely the plot <laughs> to True Detective season four, which yeah, is by yeah, far yeah. going to be the best season. Ed Orgeron heavily involved. Oh God, I, I was. Uh... Season ticket holder to USC during the Ed Orgeron days when he was like the recruiting champ and Reggie Bush really? and Matt Leiter. Yeah. Lived in Los Angeles from 99 to 05. The first year was Paul Hackett. Oh my. Not so good. And, and I had never experienced college football because I, you know, from Canada and they're just, it's not a thing like that. And USC is 90,000 people in the freaking Coliseum with a band and a horse and, and crazy and all that. So Palmer and Leiter and Bush and all that stuff. And Orgeron was just a man, like he was revered. This is a completely an aside, but I, that's when I became. Some people say about hockey, like I don't love it on TV, but if I go in person, that's me for college football. I don't really watch college football, but if you say to me, "We're going to go to Ole Miss and hang out with Wright Thompson and have whiskey," I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I do that. I don't even like whiskey, but okay, sounds good." So yeah, Wright Thompson, okay, yeah. Um, so all of that. It's interesting what you say about gambling too. It, about be, being proactive, and, and this is going off on the side, but I've, I've taken a lot of interest in this recently, and I, I do a little bit of it. I, I uh, bet on and write about over-unders every year in baseball, and, and I'm kind of, I've, I've got, and I've, like, I've paid attention to what's happening with the Action Network and, and things like that. And it yeah. feels like the NFL, there's more pressure on the NFL than any sport. Like, the NBA comes out, and Adam Silver writes an editorial in the New York Times in 2015, and Rob Manfred embraces it. And, and it seems like it's there, and you, you talk about the NFL being reactive versus proactive, I have not seen really any evidence, at least verbally or publicly, that Roger Goodell is even aware of gambling. I mean, I know that they're aware, but it's so different. And I'm wondering why that is. Could it be that the nature of the owners of the NFL are different? Like some of the NBA owners are 42-year-old hedge fund managers. The NFL owners are these like Jerry Richardson types. They're, they're really old school. They're really old you know, the, the Mara family, the, the Rooney family. It's just these legacy. It feels like it's an older sport, even in some ways than baseball, at least from that perspective. Is that what's going on? That the people that would make the decisions are from a different era? Yeah. It, that's a, no, it, it, it's interesting. I think that's what they want you to think. Okay. Cause they're, cause like Jerry Jones and, and Bob Kraft are invested in DraftKings and fans. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're ahead of the curve. They, they all know how much money. And, and, you know, the NFL has this partnership with Caesars. They're like, but they're, it's like the official casino, resort, casino, like resort, uh -huh. official <laughs> Vegas resort. It's like, there's no gambling. The Raiders are moving to Las Vegas. <laughs> right. The draft is going to be in Vegas. Yeah. They're like, they're taking it. The NFL has this weird, and this goes back to the whole PR mindset of the NFL. And, yeah. I mean, this is not Super Bowl related, but it is interesting to me that they, you know, they're like, we're on at one o'clock after church. You know, we're football is family mm. and they try to appeal to this mass 
uh, humanity of, you know, like, uh, like great America, like we're football, football uh-huh. is so swell. It's the American. And it's like, it's like, listen, guys, it, football is not this, you know, government funded, like fun party. It's, it's a, it's a billion, it's an $11 billion business. Everybody gambles on it. That's why we like football. So stop acting like it doesn't exist. They, they just like to pretend it doesn't exist until it's like, Oh, now this is kosher. And they're doing the same thing with marijuana. They're like, Oh, well, we would never let our players yeah. smoke that devil weed. And, and then they're like, Oh, well, now it's legalized. Yeah. Yeah. Go get, go get, go get high. We don't care. We don't steroids. We don't care. Do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just how they, they treat every, they keep everything at arm's length for as long as possible yep. to embrace their older, the older demographic that I think would be offended if they just let gambling in, even though gambling has always, for as long as Jimmy the Greek's been on CBS, is oh, always yeah. part of it. It's just, it's just the way that the broad, the conservative nature of the broadcast and the owners, but they, they are, um, Jason Lockenfor reported, uh, last week and he mentioned it on the Pick Six podcast mm. to me, but, there's been a commission that is not a public commission uh, or a committee that's not a public committee in the NFL that is specifically focused on sports gambling and how to and how to generate those revenue streams and how to set that stuff up uh, moving forward. So they are aware of it. They are working on it behind the scenes. They will launch it full force once it's societally acceptable. But they're like letting it operate on the fringe still for right now. Yeah, just as an, another aside, uh, the great piece by. Um Brian Curtis at the ringer not long ago about uh, how the NFL went into the kind of big TV generation really blew up. And that was Jerry Jones too. And it's interesting that Jones who is reviled in some places, I suppose uh, is just, he seems to be the forward thinking guy all the time. And he was such a junior member of ownership back then. He's like, hey, you know what? He was pushing back against uh, at the time it was art Modell and people like that. And just yep. saying, we can make a bazillion dollars, guys. What are you doing here? No, well, we've been friends with CBS for a long time. And I think it's, you, you really uh, touch on that point. This notion of the old boys network exists only in so far as it suits them, but they're, they are forward thinking, or at least Jones is in terms of how to make money. I mean, the NFL, uh, is just a cash cow. It's an, it's an amazing thing. And, and, you know, is it qualitatively different than other sports? It, it might be. Is it superior to other sports? It might be. But the revenue that's generated obviously indicates that they're doing something exactly right because they're it gonna, is smoking other sports. Yeah, but, the Pro Bowl is like it's like we got we got to get rid of the Pro Bowl. It's ruining. No, you know, <laughs> Sunday it's like three and a half million people watching. That's like a <laughs> good NBA playoff game. Like it's like more than like Game Seven of the Finals of the NBA Finals. Why would you get rid of that? It, it is they, it, football prints money for as long as it can survive. Um, and I, I don't know that Mark Cuban is wrong when he said that that pigs get slaughtered and all that. Hmm. Um, but I, I don't think he is right about the NFL just going off a cliff anytime soon. No, and then that's despite the, well, I don't want to say hysteria because it's a serious thing, but about head trauma and what's going to happen with the sport and so forth. It's still, I mean, you just, you find grist for the But but you know what's crazy, you know what's crazy and ironic about the whole, the whole head trauma thing is that, so the NFL says concussions are down 24%, right? Um, at the, sure, great. Yeah, like we don't know. I mean, they tell us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but you know, coinciding with that is the fact that the rules that they used to make the game safer have also made the game more fun because it's allowed offenses oh, yeah. to explode. And so now the NFL has this product where we thought it was declining because of head trauma, but maybe the changes they made for player safety and to make the offense more interesting to turn it into seven on seven is going to actually turn it into a more profitable sport because a, that increases the interest in gambling uh, B that increases the interest in fantasy football. Cause there's more points. Yep. And C, the, the fact of the matter is whether 
you know, people like to get on Twitter and be like, I am a, you know, traditional football. I like a nine to three game between Bama and LSU, but like people like scoring. So yes. like the Rams Chiefs game, when it's a shootout, that's what, I mean, our bosses wanted Rams Chiefs. I mean, I don't, I didn't talk to them about this, but they wanted Rams Chiefs 2.0 for the Super Bowl. So they can be like, Hey, look, the over under is 63. You don't want to miss a minute. You might miss seven scores. Um, and so the NFL has. I think they wanted to make more scoring, but through this player safety mechanism, being reactive to the concussion lawsuit, they have inadvertently created a more fun and more exciting game, uh, which is, you know, that's what happens to billionaires, right? They accidentally make more money. The, uh, the mark of a good guess is you always seem to, the person leads me into my next question. So I was going there and before I get to the, we get to the Rams in the past, I wanted to ask about Mahomes and the Chiefs. And, uh, the comps that I've seen is that they're like the Golden State Warriors, that this, this element of football existed, like the three point line existed, but they said, well, let's just do more with it. And now it's the hurry up offense. It's that their wide receivers are almost, they can be scat backs and the receivers can be, their backs can be receivers and so forth. And you just throw and throw. And all of a sudden Pat Mahomes becomes the most valuable player in the sport. And so I'm wondering how we got to that stage, but you know, before we get to the two finalists, what did the Chiefs do? Is this just Andy Reid being innovative? Is Mahomes truly that gifted? Was this a long time coming and the rule changes made it this way? And will teams emulate the Chiefs? Will we see a whole bunch of teams, maybe not even with the correct personnel, but at least try to do what the Chiefs are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that you are seeing a, um, you know, sort of a revelation or a revolution in offense and just in terms of, and, and look, the best, if you want to figure out what the trend is in the NFL, Look at the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, like the Patriots are really at the forefront of this. It's, I was writing about the Patriots Eagles Super Bowl and how Doug Peterson, it's like, like, you know, it's like now people are willing to go forward on fourth down and use analytics. It's like, well, Patriots have been doing this for 20 years, guys. Yeah. Um, you know, the Patriots, we talk about like pat, like versatile pass catching running backs and positionless receivers and positionless players. The Patriots have been doing that for years too. And, um, you know, they did it, they did it like, Every, they have all of these, uh, all these running backs, like James White, who's been there, Antoine Smith, uh, Kevin Falk has been doing it for mm-hmm. years. You know, all these guys for, for New England that are, that are, you know, positionless running back types. And, and now what you see from the Chiefs is really Andy Reid has taken, it's sort of a culmination of a long time for Andy Reid because he wanted to do this with Brett Favre mm-hmm. when he was, um, you know, coaching Favre as, as, a, as an assistant coach. Uh, it didn't, you know, Mike Holmgren didn't like the way that it panned out. Favre was having uh, snaps fly over his head. Um, but, you know, he, 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 he has taken this system and weaved in spread concepts, but he's also drafted in a way that surrounded his quarterback, who he drafted and hand-selected for this offense. And Alex Smith was a guy he hand-selected for this offense with you know, Tyreek Hill, guys who are fast, like they're all complimentary. Tyreek Hill compliments, um, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey, who yeah. compliments, complimented Kareem Hunt before he was gone, but then you plug in Damian Williams. This is, it's all built in a systematic way. And so it's not so much this scheme. It is the scheme, but it's also the players. And then, you know, conversely, look at, look at Sean McVay. I mean, what he's doing is remarkable because, and he did it out of necessity because of the, the way that their personnel was built out. He runs 11 personnel, which is, you know, three wide receivers on the field at all times. Yep. I was talking to Donta Hightower on opening night. Like, have you ever seen anybody do this? Like, as a defender, have you ever seen anybody just run the same personnel over and over and over? He's like, no. It's, he's like, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, and it's hard to deal with. And so I think what we're seeing is a bunch of creative, young, offensive minds who have realized ways to get players in position to succeed and, 
the Patriots have been doing this for a long time. It's why they've been so successful. Josh McDaniels knows how Charlie Weiss did it before him, knew how to put Tom Brady in a position to succeed by creating short throws. Like it's you, like if you want to look at a baseball comp for it, for the money ball perspective, like, mm-hmm. you know, once Billy Bean figured out like, Holy crap, nobody, like people aren't valuing walks. What are they doing? Well, in football, these traditional coaches were like, well, you have to run them first down. You have to establish yeah. the run. The Patriots figured out before everybody, they're like, wait a minute. If Tom Brady can complete 70% of his passes within three yards of the line of scrimmage, and on average, each one of those passes picks up six yards per pass, or, oh, he can run straight into the line two and yards, pick up three yards, yards two <laughs> yards or three yards on 70. It's like, wait, the math here is very simple. Like the pass is much more efficient than the run. And you just have these coaches who are starting to figure this out, but they're still not there. And they're still in football because each game is weighted more heavily and the sample size is smaller. Yes. It's harder to be as aggressive because if you fail in one foot, like if you fail, uh, who's the, who's the Phillies manager? Um, Gabe uh, Kapler. Yeah, Gabe Kapler. Gabe, Gabe Kapler. Yeah, yeah, but he did like early on in the season. He was doing that whole um, bullpen you know, stuff, <laughs> bullpen thing where he's like pulling it, like he was pulling Aaron Nola before uh-huh. he saw the lineup the third time, and it didn't work in one game. And Philly, the like, people in Philly are trying to like, ex- you know, like, murder him in the press and all of that. But like eventually, people calm down because there's 162 games <laughs> <laughs> in football. There's no time to calm down because there's 16 games, and yeah. you like you just cost yourself a playoff spot. No, it's fascinating, and it, it really comes to it is a math thing, and it goes back to basketball for a second. If Steph Curry shooting forty six percent from three, you're fine. Right. If Steph Curry shooting thirty seven percent from three, you're still fine. It's just you know they develop a stat called effective field goal percentage, and they say this is what it. Let's just mash it all together, and you can see football would have the same thing. And, and it is true about the Chiefs. Defenses also gear up for passing in a different way. It is harder to pass on third down than it is on second down. It's hard to pass on second down than it is on first down. The conditions are ripe for it, and what's going to be interesting to see is what happens when the defense is adjusted. So, okay, well, now they're obviously going to throw on first down. Are there going to be inside draws and things like that? That'll be the question. And what I'm wondering about, I'm always interested in the types of players that emerge as we go along. You know, like, like a guy like Tyree Kill is small and incredibly fast and super valuable. Santana Moss would have been a beast in this era. You know what I mean? Like guys yeah. like that would absolutely floor. Not that he was pretty good too, but he would be even better. Are we going to see the big run stuffers, the Booger McFarlane types, you know, the, the 330 big old guys go away? Do we need guys like that to anchor the defense and keep everybody honest that the 222-pound, very fast, very strong outside linebackers can get you? Or is that the end of that? We're not even going to bother with that kind of player anymore. Is he going to be extinct? No, and, you know, ironically, the two teams that are in the Super Bowl right now, the Rams and the Patriots, are run-heavy teams. I mean, the Patriots ran Sony Michelle 49 times, I think, maybe maybe over 50. Actually, it was over 50 times. I think it was like 29 and 25 yeah. in, in their last two playoff games. Now, the difference is, in, in years past, it's always been, are you run to win? No, you don't run to win. You pass to set up. You pass to, you pass to get a lead, and you run. Sorry, people were like, you have to establish the run previously. Now it's you pass to, to, to get the lead, and then you run to end the game because you can salt away the clock and you can beat a team. Um, Todd Gurley, first-round pick. Sonny Michelle, first-round pick. Yep. I don't think you're going to see the – big run stuffers go away. I do think, and we saw this in last year's draft. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a very bad defense and mm-hmm. they needed help on the defensive line and they needed help in the secondary. They took uh, Vita Vie, 
a big body dude out of Washington, big run stuffer, but probably a two down player in, in, in most, in most situations over Derwin James, a defensive Who's back. Awesome. Yeah. Incredible. Who can yeah. play nickel. He can play outside corner. He can play box safety. He can be a linebacker mm-hmm. for you. He's versatile. He's what you want. He's a, a, a chess piece that you can move around and the results were very obvious within like you know eight weeks. It's like oh we've I've made a huge tiny mistake. <laughs> the Bucks should have drafted the, the versatile safety yeah. piece, and and so I don't think we're going to see them go away, but I do think we're going to see them devalued. And now where it gets interesting is in this Super Bowl matchup because I think more than anything, this is going and, and most people will tell you this this the what is going to determine the Super Bowl is whether or not the Patriots interior offensive lineman. With David Richards, Joe Tooney, NC State, shout out, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and Shaq Mason can win against Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue. Mm-hmm. And so like, even though this is a, you know, Sean McBrilliant young offensive mind meeting Belichick and, you know, the Brady and the greatest offenses ever, it is going to come down to who wins at the point of attack, who wins on the line of scrimmage, because if Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue win, they will be, they can beat Tom Brady because that's how you pressure him on the interior. If the, if the Patriots offensive line wins, the Patriots could steamroll the Rams. Well, let's get, on the subject of run stuffing, let's get into the Rams a little bit. And, you know, I lack the nuance that would come with being a full-time football commentator. And I come at it to some extent from a fantasy perspective. I had Todd Gurley in our league, the league of leagues this year. Todd Gurley was very, very, very good. For a long time. And then he super wasn't good. And it has continued into the postseason. Dealt with a knee injury. Comes back. He's in the championship game last week. And according to what he says, he's fine. And I believe he rushed for 13 yards. And I understand they picked up C.J. Anderson. And the NFL is what have you done for me lately and all that stuff. But Todd Gurley, you could argue other than Mahomes, was maybe the MVP of the league. It would be like if who's the second best player? Mookie Betts. Was amazing, and then they're like the Red Sox are like, we're gonna bench Mookie Betts, we're gonna put in Will Brinson instead. We really like his hustle, and he's got a really good haircut. Like, what are we? Like, Jackie, Jackie Bradley, probably Jackie Bradley or Will Brinson. But what's up with Todd Gurley? Is he hurt? Do they really change system that quickly? And I guess maybe the broader point is, are running backs that fungible that you've got an MVP caliber player, and then you're like, hey, we're not even gonna use this guy. Who cares? Well, all right, to answer your first question, nobody knows. And if you go back and listen to the – I mean, like, we all have our ideas, and our our ideas are mostly Todd Gurley has to be hurt because he got injured and he missed time. But Sean McVay has repeatedly said he's not injured. He's not on the injury report. Um, They say it's just a conditioning thing. He hasn't looked healthy. He hasn't looked, like, as explosive as he was. Um, and so as a result, they're going with CJ Anderson, who has looked better. I mean, we're talking about the NFC championship game on the line and they're, and like, it's like Joe Buck and Tori Edmund are like, well, you know, we don't, we haven't been told anything. Like, we asked. <laughs> all we, I mean, Joe Buck, I'm not dogging them. Joe Buck said, all we can do is ask. And that's all they yeah, can do. Yeah. They I like Joe Buck, yeah. And I mean, like I asked, um, you know, I, again, talked to Dante Hightower. It's like, do you think Todd Gurley's a hundred percent? He's like, I'm preparing for Todd Gurley as if he's Todd Gurley. Like, okay. He didn't say, I think he's 100%. I think everybody thinks he's injured or battling something that's causing him not to be as explosive. But to the point about, like, can you just swap out running backs? Yeah. If you if you look at Todd Gurley, some, some of the holes he ran through with that offensive line, they're gaping. Like, you and I could, you know, we could joke about swapping in for Mookie Betts. Then I'm I could run through this hole. <laughs> you you know, could. Jackie, Jackie Bradley could run through Jackie these Bradley holes. Could. And, like, and, and so I think, yes, in, in a certain extent, uh, running backs are, you know, exchangeable in terms of their value and 
the the dip. I mean, C.J. Anderson is a chunky street free agent who they yeah. picked up for for nothing, and he plopped in there and he runs, uh, you know, runs for 200 yards in like the final the finale. Uh, Damian Williams with the Chiefs, another great yeah. example. You know, Kareem Hunt's gone, and Damian Williams, a guy they picked up from Miami, and you know, as a free agent, is 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 you know is in there running like crazy. Um, you know, the Patriots have Sony Michelle, who's a first round pick. But when he's out, they can use Rex Burkhead and James White. And, um, you know, for years they've had all these running backs that they can just throw in there. So, yes, I think that running backs – I don't think – I think that this is why running backs don't win MVP anymore unless it's like an Adrian Peterson situation. Because yeah. um, if you lose your quarterback with the rare, you know, case of Nick Foles being the, the <laughs> exception, the rule, uh, you, are, you are more or less screwed. And if you lose your running back, you can – Grab some guy off the street, and if you have a good offensive line, you can still win with a with a with that kind of approach. I just want to jump on that one more question on that subject. Uh, Chris List, friend of ours, he's also in the League of Leagues, and he's written about Saquon Barkley. He's a big Giants fan, perhaps a little biased. Saquon Barkley is a dude. He's terrific and yeah. really, really, really good. And List's argument is. Yes, what you said is true. Plugging in another running back is true. But the devil's in the details. And when we talk about drafting, we say, well, you can't draft a running back in the first round. And if you have an opportunity, you got to take a quarterback, whatever. And Liss's argument is, in that spot, even though the Giants have Eli freaking Manning, who's on his, he was on his last legs three years ago. And yet still playing three more years for the Giants. Still playing five more years for the Giants for sure, because he's a Manning. Cooper Manning is going to back him up. But you've got this situation, and even despite all that, and even despite the fact that it was what? Rosen was out there, and Jackson obviously went way later was out there, and Josh Allen, Allen, Darnold, all those guys, uh, you still should have gone with Barkley because he was the best player for that specific situation. What do you make of that? Because I, I love, and I've gotten into it with Chris a little bit too. Like Barkley probably is the most talented player in that draft. Probably like going forward might, and even though I like Jackson, I like some of these other guys, might even be better than Mayfield. But what do we do with this kind of league and that kind of situation? Where would you, if you, let's say you could redo the draft. You have clairvoyance now. You've watched these guys play for a year. Where do you draft Saquon Barkley? It's really hard. And Saquon Barkley, I think, is like even more interesting because he's coming, you know, we have this, we had this, um, stretch where running backs were, you know, went early and you just did it. It was what you did. Yep. Uh, and then Trent Richardson happened and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, and they backed off that and what Blair Thomas wasn't enough evidence. <laughs> yeah. Any well, Penn State back wasn't enough evidence. Anybody <laughs> the Jets drafted wasn't enough evidence. <laughs> um, it, it, look, 2013. Uh, no running backs go in the first round. Uh, you know, a guy like Le'Veon Bell falls. Yep. Uh, uh, Giovanni Bernard, I think, was maybe the first running back taken. At any rate, um, then 2014, we start with Todd Gurley. Um, you know, we have Zeke Elliott. Yep. We have Little Fournette. I think, and I think Fournette's a little bit of backlash with Fournette because he's he struggled. Here's the problem, Jonah, and, and like I think when you're building an NFL roster, you have to allocate – and cap space is not an issue anymore, but you still have to allocate certain – percentages for certain positions. Yes. And I think that when you, you know, when you're doing that, you have to say, okay, do I want to have a top 10 running? Sorry, housekeeping just story. Um, do I want to have a top 10 running back in terms of a salary? And if you draft a running back number two overall, you are going to have a top 10 running back in terms of his salary. Additionally, you are going to have after your five-year contract, rookie contract with that guy, and you have to give him a um, a fifth-year option commiserate with the number two overall pick, which is very expensive. Uh, you are then going to have to make a decision: Am I giving this guy tw- fifteen to twenty million dollars a year 
as a 28-year-old running back into his 30s when there is significant statistical evidence that these guys drop off very quickly? And I think the answer is no, you can't do that. Whereas if you – if number two pick. I mean, I would have gone Darnold there anyway, and I yeah. still would Darnold for the Giants because I think that Darnold is a legitimate prospect. Uh-huh. He looked, I thought he looked really good for the Jets. I think I would still take a guy like – I would take Bradley Chubb over Saquon Barkley because Bradley Chubb is a defensive end who showed that he can produce 10-plus sacks in a season as a rookie and is going to play at a Pro Bowl level for probably 10 years. Quentin Nelson is a guard, and mm-hmm. it sounds insane, mm-hmm. but he's a, he's a freaking Pro Bowler in his first year, and he dominated, and he's a guy that you can plug in at that position for 15 years. Um, you know, Josh Allen ran a lot. I don't know that um, – like I would take Josh Rosen over Josh Allen, but I would still take one of those quarterbacks huh. over him. Now I do get what Dave Gettleman's going with. You you draft by your board. You can't get caught up in you know reaching for a position of need. You know that's how the Buccaneers ended up with Vita Va at number at number yes. twelve, and the Redskins drafted Deron Payne. Um, and so I understand that, but I, I cannot. I couldn't in good conscience take a running back number two overall. Think about it like this: Would you rather have Sam Darnold? And Nick Chubb, who was available with the Giants yep. second round pick, or would you rather have, um, let's see, who is it, or would you rather have Saquon Barkley? And Eli Manning. Yeah, well, or Eli Manning or like Saquon Barkley and Mason Rudolph, who's the next quarterback taken. And that's a no-brainer. Yes. I mean, give me, give me the stud quarterback and I'll figure something out with the running back position. That all makes sense. Uh, let's talk about the Pats. So here we are again with them and we talk about them being innovative and, and being ahead of the curve and doing everything right. What is, is this just a continuation 2018, 2019 season of what they've been doing in the past? Or is there something new under the sun with this team that it's like, you know what? This could have been the year they fell off, but they were able to do X and that really put them over the top and got them back to where they need to be. I think the most interesting thing that people don't talk about in terms of the Patriots is how Bill Belichick has taken a money ball type approach with his defense. And he under, he saw what was coming in terms of offensive scoring and the inability to stop it. Once, you know, the Patriots jammed receivers for year, you know, for years and yep. Bill Pulley and, and Peyton Manning wanted the rules changed and got the rules changed and things became more offensive. Belichick has, has sort of said, if you look at his defensive rankings, he's not trying to be the number one defense every year. Um, you know, you hear people inside the Patriots talk about this and they acknowledge it too. Like, He's not trying to create, you know, he's not, he understands, he understands salary cap allocation better than anyone in, in football in yep. terms of a head coach and a general manager who does this and, and work, you know, he's working in tandem with himself. It's much easier. Um, few other people can do it. It's hard to do, but he understands that he needs to have, you know, X amount of, t- X allotted to certain spots. He, he has a cap that he's going to pay certain positions. Um, and, and then I think he, he has invested heavily in defensive backs. Because he understood where the game was going. He understood that in situations against, like, the Chargers played this zone coverage against the Patriots. It's like, dude, Tom Brady's going to carve you up if you play zone coverage. You. you have to be able to play man against these guys. You know, he understands that they're going to have to be like, they can't play zone against the, against the, um, you know, Jeez. against the Rams all day long. Yeah. Yeah. The Chiefs, right. Like, no you'd be able to match, you'd be able to match up one on one against him. You'd be able to mix and match your coverages. He understands the value of having, like, he went and paid a lot of money for Stephon Gilmore mm-hmm. in free agency, a former first round pick of the Bills. And it's worked out great. He's flown under the radar as being a stud cornerback. Um, you know, he, people lamented the defense early on, said there's no pass rush. It's sort of come around. Trey Flowers starting to develop as a pass rusher. And so I think that, you know, these guys are under the radar in terms of their defensive playmaking ability. We look at Tom Brady, we look at Julian Edelman, we look at Gronk and we talk about that. Um, but the Patriots, 
this is the story of the Patriots and Belichick has always talked about this. And I think it's so fascinating. He's like, look, you can get hot and bothered about a loss to the Bengals in week four. He doesn't say this in many words, but he's like, look, he's preaching. The season is divided into quadrants. There's the first, the first eight weeks of the season. You're trying to stack as many wins as you can while you sort of figure out what you are. Then the next four games, you're sort of, trying to mold that identity. And then ideally in the final four weeks of the season and into the postseason, you are executing that identity. And that's when the Patriots tested out some different stuff. They figured out what they were and they became this power run team that can lock you down on the back end if they need to in certain situations. And, and they, they executed it in the playoffs and they thumped the chargers and they, they ran all over the chiefs early on and the chiefs came back. And I think, I think they could, so the question is how will they approach the Rams? Are they malleable enough on offense to be able to get away from running the ball? Can they do these extended drives against this Rams defense and Wade Phillips? Can they keep the pressure off of Tom Brady? But I, I think that the story is that, they found their identity late in the season and it carried over into the playoffs despite maybe um, being a lesser lesser roster than they've had in years past. So when you say trying things out, you mean Grunk covering a Hail Mary, probably they're not going to do that again? Is that what yeah, you're implying? I think that, that was the weirdest like the, thing I've ever seen. It, it was the weirdest thing because it was like a tactical mistake. It's like, a, what are you doing? Big, big tactical. They win the game. They probably win the game if a guy's got a clear shot at him. I don't know. Or put a safety, anybody, but anybody. like, the, the, the Dolphins weren't throwing a Hail Mary in that spot. Like, Brian Tannehill can't throw it 70 yards. So no. Why is Gronk out there? It, it made, it, you don't, that was the weird thing about this year is that you saw a couple tactical mistakes from Belichick throughout Big the ones. season. It's yeah. like, like, did this, like, I know he didn't just like, like lose his fastball. I mean, like, he's Bill Belichick. He's fine. And so that's sort of hard to reconcile in the course of a season when we have this hot take, you know, week to week situation with football. All right, so I know you got to do pick six and all that great stuff for CBS Sports, so let's do it. Who are you taking and why? I am taking the Patriots primarily because I picked against the Patriots the previous two rounds, <laughs> and it blew up in my face. And I think that as good as – I do have a, a little bit of a spidey sense going on with the Rams because I think everybody's on the Patriots, and I think it's going to be a close game. I wouldn't want to bet on the Patriots. Rams are a very good team. Rams are underrated. Um, I understand why the line is moved. I understand why the Rams would be minus one in a vacuum. Um, I, I get it. Like I, I can see a situation where you would say, "All right, look, you know, Vegas had the Rams power ranked as the number one team for most of the season." And in a, you know, if if you're doing Team A versus Team B and you're comparing season results, you're like, "All right, Team A is favored by one point." But then you're like, "We can't make the Patriots underdogs in the Super Bowl. Everyone will bet on the Patriots." <laughs> yeah. And if Bill Belichick and Tom Brady find a way to win a Super Bowl, then we're screwed. <laughs> so naturally, the, the line moves to two and a half. I, I think I would be I would be hesitant to. And by the way, if you listen to the Pick Six podcast, which you should before, subscribe which you now. Should. But R.J. White and I both made this bet three weeks before the Super Bowl. AFC was plus three. So if you bet on that three weeks before the Super Bowl, you have the Patriots plus three. Also, a, anybody plus three, you're automatically getting an advantage. You start with plus three. It, Right, but it would have been the Patriots or Chiefs plus three. Give me a break. This of course. Is, it's not it's not free money. You can still lose, but it's a very Are the Jets going to run the table? No, they're not. It's going to be a good team. Right, exactly. Uh, and so, um, but yeah, I think that I, I like the Patriots. I think that you're talking about a two-week preparation time for Bill Belichick. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is a big stage for Jared Goff, and he will have put up some nice numbers. Mm-hmm. But I could see him struggling at various points against a Patriots defense that has two weeks to prepare for him. Um, the two guys that are on the field that were not on the field against the Eagles last year, who are the two biggest gamers on each side of the ball for the Patriots, Donta Hightower, who I've mentioned, and Julian Edelman. 
Edelman converts these third downs. He's impossible to cover. Um, and then I think when you look at what the Saints did really well and sort of went away from in, in the second and fourth quarters against the Rams, yep. they got, they got Alvin Kamara lined up against Corey Littleton in space and in the passing downs. Just run that over and over and over and make them stop it. James White, to me, this is a guy, you know, look at a flyer for a Super Bowl MVP bet as a prop bet. I mean, his over-under for receptions is like six. He's had oh, a he's going to catch 12 balls for sure. For, yeah, he I, might not I, get 200 yards, but he's going to catch a million balls. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, like, he's a guy who makes plays in space, and if they get him lined up against Mark Barron or Corey Littleton and these Rams linebackers, that's going to be trouble, and it's going to force them to adjust. Also, Edelman in the slot. You know, they have Marcus Peters. They have Akeem Tlaib. They're yep. both running their mouths. It's, it's fun. It's great. I love the guys. But is one of them dropping him to the slot to cover Edelman? I, I don't know. I think they're going to have to put, like, Tlaib on I – don't, I don't, that's, that's the chess match, too, in the pass game. Because if it's, if it's Mikel Roby Coleman tackling Julian Edelman all day, the Patriots are going to get those flags. These refs are going to be looking at Mikel Roby. No, Coleman. no, because cheating is legal, Will. You're missing it. You're missing the original point of the podcast. Roby's going to be fun. <laughs> I also yeah, – I mean, like, but, but seriously. Yes. No, I mean, like, I'm with you. Like, he's, he's, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. Apparently. He, he told – Ty Dunn of Bleacher Report that Tom Brady's getting old, and I get that he wasn't like he's not wrong. Tom Brady is old and he's yes. maybe declining a little bit, but why would you say that the week before the Super Bowl <laughs> when you're the guy who almost blew the game against the Saints? Tom Brady is now angry at you personally. He is focused <laughs> on you. And he's going to use Julian Edelman to destroy your soul. You foolish, foolish man. Uh, and so I will take the Patriots because they seem motivated to. We're still here, whatever the thing is. I I I love the chip on the shoulder. Nobody believed in us like where, where do you go where do you go how do you generate the motivation well listen i have two hands i need more rings i need like the third finger on my other hand it has to be a, i don't know it's it's there's, a, it's there's like three different phases of no one believed in us one it was like we were actual underdogs you know when we started yeah because steve out. grogan was the best player in franchise history that was legitimate i grant you that no problem right. And then there was the second phase where it's like, everybody thinks we cheated. Nobody thinks we can win without videotaping. Okay. We're going to come out and prove you wrong. And now this third phase of, oh, you think we're too old to keep winning Super Bowls? <laughs> we'll show you. It's like, what, what, what are we doing? You got, you got the Super Bowl nine times. Get out of here. It's, uh, it, it's, I guess it's fun to have a dynasty. It's, it's, it feels like it, it's gone away. Well, Golden State, I guess, but it feels like it's gone away in baseball. Yankees aren't as no. maybe they can go out and sign Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. How are those guys still free agents? What what the hell is happening with baseball? Sign it starts with ka and it ends with illusion, but I don't know the word because I'm not allowed to say. It. <laughs> oh no, it's just that they've all discovered analytics at the same time. It's a very interesting uh, thing that's going on in baseball. We, yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, I'd go pay Bryce Harper and Manny Machado if I were some team. Yeah, but you Christmas. don't. You don't need to imagine if the NFL had a situation where, like. It's a different thing in base. I don't mind talking about this. In baseball, your best years are your first years. When you're drafting the NFL, you talked about Saquon. Saquon gets paid right away. So baseball, maybe not as a rookie, but by your second or third year, you, you often are who you are. You peak at like 24, 25, not sure. that far away from football. In baseball, you only really get paid when you're 29, 30. Nobody wants to pay you when you're 29, 30 anymore. It is, if it is collusion, it's easy cover. And if it isn't collusion, it's easy cover. You just don't pay a guy for past performance. You pay him for future performance. NBA is the same. There's a you know, rookie deal to some extent, but you still have 
you get paid and then you get the big contract afterwards and guys like Durant and LeBron stay in shape and it's no problem. And hockey's like that too. Hockey, you can get paid after your third or fourth year. Baseball stands alone. And these were rights that were bargained for by Marvin Miller, who's great and should be in the Hall of Fame and all that good stuff. But they're completely antiquated now. There's no PEDs. There's nothing to save you. Evan Longoria used to be the best. And then he was super not the best. That's what happens. Yeah. It just, yeah. it, it goes. And that's the end of it. So it, it is fascinating to me. And I think, you know, that's one way that the NFL gets it right. You pay guys right away. They deserve to be paid. But baseball has – and baseball is worse because in baseball you have this apprenticeship where you have to ride the bus in butt crap nowhere for years and years and years. So you, don't, you might not get paid for 12 years after you're drafted. It is like crazy. Kyler, Kyler, Kyler Murray, Murray is where I was going with this. I, I understand that Kyler Murray could have, you know, uh, head trauma for the rest of his life. I totally get that. Of course he should play football. It's preposterous to think that he should play baseball. Right. You're going to take $5 million and spend the next six years being in minor league baseball and then maybe never get paid or take $20 million. And if you have three good years or three decent years, you're going to get $100 million. It's, it's a no brainer if you're a quarterback. If you are Jamarcus Russell, you know, Jamarcus Russell is a very rich man. Very rich. Right, was yeah. he was he good? No. Does it matter? No. Is he eating a lot? Good for him. I hope so. He's probably top. What do you get? Sixty million bucks. I mean, he's top thirty all time in terms of quarter like quarterback earnings. I mean, we'll get out of here. It's ridiculous. It's, it's amazing. Uh, Will Brinson, you're a delight. I appreciate it. We're gonna have to make a trade in the League of Leagues at some point. And uh, thank you so much for this. Uh, everybody listen to the Pick Six podcast. It's really great. Follow Whittle on Twitter at Will Brinson. Go enjoy the Super Bowl. Always a pleasure, Jenna.